Changed by Love is the teaching ministry of Pastor Jim Kevney of Calvary Chapel Morris Hills in Morris County, New Jersey. Pastor Jim's desire is to teach the Word of God with passion and simplicity, as well as a direct application to our daily lives. What does it truly mean to be free? Have you ever considered that question before? Or do you think you already have the answer? Today, Pastor Jim offers a unique perspective on this thing called freedom that you might not have heard before. It's tempting to consider freedom as the right to do whatever you want without limitations, but is that really freedom? It's an interesting question, and the answer just might surprise you. So as you listen today, consider what it is to be truly free. Well, let's join Pastor Jim in the book of Luke chapter 1 as he begins his message, A Present from Heaven, Freedom. I would like to begin with verse 74 and 75. It's the heartfelt desire of an old temple priest from 2,000 years ago. We just read it, but I just want to read these two verses to jump us off. To grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, he's just saying what? We want to be free. We want to be free. Might serve. That word also can be, in their thinking, equated to worship. Him would be the Lord without fear. Verse 75, in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. Freedom. It's a big deal in our country. A lot of talk about it these days. Freedom is huge. We are supposed to be the land of the free and the home of the brave. If those words sound familiar to you, you sing them at baseball games and other sporting events. They were written in 1814 by Francis Scott Key, and they're part of our national anthem. Freedom is indeed important to us. Uh, today, we want to look at what freedom is from God's point of view, and how do we get it? And so I've entitled today's message, A Present from Heaven, Freedom, part of our series, Presence from Heaven. 2,000 years ago, this old priest, Zechariah, was waiting for the Messiah to come to free the people of God. Why did they want to be free? They wanted to worship and serve the Lord, as we just read, all the days of their lives. Now, at this time of year, if you, especially now if you go on the internet with all of the internet trolls that are out there, love those people, don't you? Uh, not me. Uh, anyway, uh, Christmas debates arise among so many different people. And is it Christmas or is it a pagan holiday? That's a big one. Basically, who stole it from who? That's what people want to know. To be honest, if you ask me, while the people were fighting about who stole it from who, the dude in the red suit stole it from everybody. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I drive down the road and I'm seeing more Santa Claus nativity scenes than anything else. And so it seems like he stole it. And then, of course, we know, some of us who are older, we know, or maybe you've just heard about him, there was a great theologian of the 1960s. Do you know who I'm talking about? Uh, his name was Charlie Brown. He had a sidekick, Linus, who was a great Bible reader. And they were very concerned that Christmas had become too commercial. They were right. Materialism really ruins the holiday. It causes a lot of stress, doesn't it? How many of you are stressed out about what to get somebody for Christmas? Like, they don't even really care, right? 
or the debt that it produces. You get your credit card bill in January. You're like, no way. There's no way I spent all that money. And a lot of that stuff can make Christmas seem more like a prison than freedom. It's really, there's, there's not a lot of freedom in this. Now, if you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus, thank you for coming. We're really glad that you're here. If you're new to the Bible or you want to understand it better, it's always important to ask yourself, what is God doing here? Why is this stuff that he's telling us important? Because if you don't, if you don't focus on what he does tell us about the birth of Jesus, all of the lesser matters grab your attention and you'll find yourself in the midst of all kinds of kookiness. And before you know it, you'll miss Christmas. So what is the most important thing? Is it the date? No. Is it when the holiday began? I would say no. The most important thing is that God visited his people and his name was Jesus Christ. They knew him differently back then. They called him Jesus of Nazareth. And what did he do? He brought salvation. Now, if you're new to the Bible, you're new to this whole Christian thing, you're like, well, what in the world is salvation? Jesus brought the ability for you and me to receive from God the forgiveness of sins and eternal life through faith and trust in Jesus Christ and not ourselves. Faith and trust in the perfect life that Jesus led in our place, that God requires a perfect life through the cross, him paying for our sins on the cross, And the resurrection, God was satisfied with it, so he raised Jesus from the dead, and Jesus himself beat death, so God's people do not have to worry about that. Now, earlier in chapter 1, this fellow Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth were described as righteous before God. That is a very, very rare statement in the Bible. You very rarely get descriptions of people that are that glowing in the Bible. Usually they're not so great, a lot of the descriptions, not all of them, but a lot of them are not. And they were very old and they had never had children and she was past the childbearing years. And then an angel appears to Zechariah in the temple. He's working at the temple and it says this, guess what? Got some really good news for you. You and your wife are gonna have a baby. So these two really old people, and he says, you and your wife are going to have a baby. And you're going to name him John. Name him John. We'll know him later on as John the Baptist, but you're going to name him John. And Zechariah says, (laughs) what kind of an angel are you? It's not really what he said, but that's the way I think of it. He says to the angel, we're too old. We can't have any more kids. My wife is way past that time. And the angel says, okay, here's the bad news for you, Zacharias. Because you didn't believe me, you're not going to be able to talk anymore. Now, maybe his wife liked that. I don't know. (laughs) But but you're not going to be able to talk anymore. So while they're waiting for the baby, Elizabeth's much younger cousin, Mary, who was pregnant with Jesus, visits. And we saw what she had to say in what's called the Magnificat, which is a lot like a psalm. Now, I just have to say a quick thing about Mary and Elizabeth. We've said before that a lot of us young men who have a certain age, we're all named after apostles. Same thing for a lot of people in the Bible, a lot of women who were raised in the church, they're named after that. Mary, Elizabeth are popular names. As a matter of fact, Mary Elizabeth is coming to my house tomorrow. Yeah, that's my mother's name. That's my mother's name. Although I don't think she's the Virgin Mary, but... uh, (laughs) 
but she is coming. By the way, her name is Mary Elizabeth McGuire. That tells you which boat her family got off of, right? (laughs) That's her name. So John the Baptist is born, and then the family all goes on the eighth day to the temple because they're going to circumcise him. That's what you're supposed to do on the eighth day. They were God-fearing people. They went to do that, so they went there. And they said to him, you know, what's his name? And they go, his name is John. And the people are like, no, his name is little Zeki or Zaki or something like that. Zachariah, man, what are you doing? You got a name of John. Now, could you imagine that families being nosy and being busybodies about other people's business? I know some of you know nothing about what that is about. And so they give John a pad because he can't talk. Not an iPad. I think it was a writing pad. And he goes, John, his name is, his name is John. And so they name him John. I'm going to tell you a few things. It was shocking to the family that they didn't name him that, but I'll tell you a few things about my family that you do not know. Some of you know this, some of you don't. My name is James Joseph Kevney III. Okay, that's my name, okay? If you call me James, I'll call you mommy. Let me just tell you. (laughs) That's the way it's going to go, right? Nobody calls me James. This was my grandfather's name. Nobody calls me Jimmy. That was my father's name. My name was Jamie when I was a little boy. You call me Jamie, I'll find a way to church discipline you out of this place. (laughs) Because when I went to first grade, there was a girl in my class named Jamie. And I said, I don't want a girl's name. So I said, I want to be Jim. My mother to this day goes, why do people call you Jim? I said, because that's my name, mom. That's my name. I actually caught heat for not naming my son, who's here. I won't say where he's sitting, although he's sitting in the far back. Um... I caught heat from my family for not naming him James Joseph Kevney IV because that's the way that goes. So anyway, I'll just give you the names of some of the kids in my family. We have two boys and a girl. Many of you know that. So the oldest is Ryan James, Ryan James. The youngest is Timothy James. I have a grandson. His name is Noah James. We have a daughter named Jessica. I want to name her Jesse James. (laughs) (laughs) my wife just, that ain't happening. She is a bit of an outlaw. I don't want to say exactly where she's sitting right now. (laughs) So uh, why, why, why would God do this? Why would God say, don't name your son after yourself, Zachariah, perhaps? But what he does, God, I think God just loves to spin our heads. But maybe also for people to just really, you know, not focus on the fact that they had a kid, but focus on what the mission of this kid is going to be, to think about it. So there's two questions I want us to ask ourselves in this text. And uh, number one is, what is freedom? What is freedom? Verse 67 says, Now his father, Zacharias, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, so this is a prophecy, this is the word of the Lord, It's known as the Benedictus or the Song of Zechariah. Verse 68 says, Blessed is the Lord God of Israel. And the idea is we bless God somewhat similar to we praise God. For he has visited. Now, if you have your own Bible, circle that word because you're going to need it in the second half. He has visited. Uh, Another verse says he's looked favorably upon his people. He's visited and redeemed his people. Now that's ancient Old Testament Exodus language, God rescuing his people from Egypt. Why? 
So they were free to worship him in the wilderness without fear. Moses went to Pharaoh, and what did he say? Let my people go. We want to go out into the wilderness, and we want to worship God. And Pharaoh, no, no, no. Even though his advisors are like, this place is falling apart. Let them go. Nope, not going to go. Finally, he gives in. Now, the time in between the Old Testament and the New Testament, we talked about, if you notice in your Bible, there's a blank page there. That page took 400 years to write. I could have written that quicker, okay? So there's a, kind of this 400 years of silence, they call it, when there's no really prophetic voice is speaking, or at least as far as a lot of them knew. There was people doing the work of the Lord. God seems silent, yet with Zechariah, the silence turns to praise. And now he's beginning to praise the Lord. His prophecy is beautiful. He says God has visited or God has helped and rescued his people. And what does he say? He's done that in the past, maybe 1,500 years ago or so. He's done that in the past. But now, dates we're not always really sure of, but now he's going to do it again. Now, remember, prophecy is unusual in that it kind of looks sometimes in the presence and it, it looks ahead. And Zechariah sees what God is doing for his people in the Messiah, and he still has a lot to learn about the Messiah. Now, Elizabeth, when Mary came to visit, she called Mary the mother of my Lord, the mother of my Lord. Zechariah equates the Old Testament God with Jesus. So what is Zechariah saying to us? He's saying, Jesus is how God visits his people. Jesus is how God visits his people. So not only does Jesus visit, you know, Jesus is not the kind of guy who visits and just doesn't, you know, just doesn't show up, doesn't bring anything, just eat your food and leaves, a big mess. He doesn't just visit, he redeems. I say, what does that mean, redeems? So any of you clip coupons? I don't know. I get them in the mail. I just throw them right in there. I figure I'm just, you know, why they do that. I wish they gave me a mailing list. I go, don't send them to me anymore. But that means that he saves at a cost. That's what it means that Jesus redeems. He saves at a cost. We could say that he, he rescues or he purchases his people at a very high price. And that price was his dying on the cross. But here's the thing. Notice at the end of verse 68, he says he redeems or he saves or he rescues his people. Now, that's both good news and bad news. You see, if you're not a follower of Jesus, then he hasn't rescued you. That's bad news. But if you are a follower of Jesus, that's very, very good news because God rescues everyone through Jesus, all those who put their faith and trust in him. Verse 69, he continues, he's, he's not talking about John the Baptist, his own son. He says, and has raised up a horn of salvation. Circle that word salvation if you have your own Bible. Again, you're going to need that again in the second half. What is a horn of salvation? We might think of a mighty savior. He raises up a mighty savior for us, or who's us? His people, those who have put their trust in the Messiah. Now, we put our trust in the Messiah. We're looking in the rearview mirror, the Messiah that's already come. They were putting in their, Messiah, in their trust in the Messiah yet to come. In the house, for us, in the house of his servant, David. So he'll be a descendant of King David. 
Verse 70, as he, the Lord, spoke, you could say promised, by the mouth of his holy prophets who have been since the world began. Or the, sometimes some versions say the prophets from old or the prophets in ancient times. So Zechariah tells us that God is raising up a savior of power and might, a king from the line of David. So on the one hand, he will be a king, but he says, my servant David, so he'll be a king, but he'll be a servant. It's a wonderful thing about Jesus. He's the king on a cross. He's a king and his throne is the cross here on earth, but yet he's serving us by dying for our sins on the cross. A horn was a sign of strength. And so Jesus has been and now is the long-awaited hope for the true people of God. And now Zechariah tells us he is about to appear to the world just like the Lord promised in his word. And that's what happened when Jesus was born on Christmas Day. Now, he didn't make his appearance on the scene for about 30 years, but what was he doing during that time? He was living that perfect life. He was was doing everything that he was supposed to do. The Bible tells us that he obeyed his parents. Did you hear that, young people? He obeyed his parents, right? Could you imagine talking to a teenager and saying, "Um, you need to do this, and and then Jesus would be like, hey, listen, I'm God. Nobody tells me what to do, (laughs) right? And only he could say that. I know some of you think you're God, but you're not, okay? And so he was living his perfect life. Centuries earlier, Psalm 132.17 says this, There I will make the horn of David grow. I will prepare a lamp for my anointed. So we come to verse 71, Zechariah says, remember, this is a prophecy that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to perform or show the mercy, want to circle that word? You're going to need it in the second half. The mercy promised to our fathers and remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to our father Abraham. Now we go into the two verses we began with. To grant us that we, being delivered, the idea is being rescued from the hand of our enemies, might serve, and what did that mean in Exodus? It meant worship in the wilderness, him without fear. In holiness and righteousness before him in his presence all the days of our life. So in verse 71, he talks about the people of God being saved from their enemies. Immediately for a Jewish person hearing this, their mind would go back to this being saved from the Egyptians at the Red Sea. They finally, the firstborn males, the 10th plague had come and Pharaoh's like, get out of here. They leave and he's like, nah, come back. So he sends his army after him. And so they're out there and Moses is leading the people, millions of people, and they see the Egyptian army coming and the people are like, they're already complaining. They just got out there a day. They're already complaining. And they're like, you brought us out here to kill us. What's going to happen? What's going to happen? And there's the sea in front of them. And so Moses is looking at the army. The people are terrified of the army. People are looking at the sea. They're terrified of drowning. But Moses looks up. And Moses is like, I'm not terrified of them. I'm not terrified of the water. I'm terrified of him. And God goes to him, what are you waiting for? Walk. And the waters part. 
and the people walk across the Red Sea. And they get across to the other side, and here come the Egyptians galloping over there. And what happens when the Egyptians get going across the Red Sea? Woof! The walls of water come down, and they are drowned, and the God's people are rescued, and they're off to the promised land. Now, up until right now, even though it had happened a long time ago, this was the defining moment in Israel's history. This was it. This was when God freed them from the chains of Egypt, centuries before Zechariah's talking. Now, in the Bible, Egypt is often described as a type of sin, our old life, if you will, slavery to sin. They would think back of Egypt. That's the way we used to live. We don't live that way anymore. People were saved how? You put the blood of the lamb over your doorpost. And if you did that, your firstborn male child or animal didn't die. Now, there's an element of faith over that, and that shows us the same thing. When we put our trust in the blood of Jesus Christ and the cross over, if you will, the, our hearts, that's indeed how we are saved, by faith and trust in Jesus. But prophecy sees time very differently. And verse 74 sees another time when the people of God will be able to worship and serve the Lord. Here we see that God will keep his promise that he made to Abraham and the prophets. And this promise will be kept how? Through a child. Through who we know as baby Jesus. This mighty savior will rescue his people, will empower his people for worship and service, and to use Zechariah's words, in holiness and righteousness. He says there will be no fear. The Bible says that if you have put your trust in Jesus, there will be no fear because there will be no fear of punishment for you. There will be holiness because God makes his people holy because they belong to the Lord. And there will be righteousness. God will help us all to live our lives the way we are supposed to. That's the purpose of this salvation. The true people of God will really be free. And that is a message we all need to hear. Freedom, as far as Zacharias is seeing it, is the future when God releases, what he said in verse 72, the mercy, that's a great Old Testament word, hesed or hesed, promised to our fathers. In other words, he's saying God is going to keep his promise to all of his people. Jesus said this, John 8, 36, therefore, if the Son makes you free, some versions say sets you free, you shall be free indeed. Now, as wonderful as this sounds, I really believe, and I said to you, I said when I prayed before, that a lot of people may have a little bit of difficulty understanding this, but to me, of all of the messages, the five messages that are going to be coming for Christmas, this is number three, this is the most meaningful message to me personally, because the message to me about Christmas, if I take about what it means for me personally more than anything else, is about freedom. Some of you don't know what I'm talking about. Before I was a Christian, I used to drink a lot, and I would go to a party and somebody would ask me if I wanted a drink, and I would say yes. Well, then after I became a Christian, I've never been drunk since then. 
My wife and I, we quit on our 10th wedding anniversary just for something fun to do. And um, I go to a party now, and people say to me, do you want a drink? And I say, no. And they say, is it because of your religion? I say, no, it's because I'm free. They go, what do you mean you're free? I go, well, because I used to not be free. I used to have to say yes. But now I'm free to say yes or no. And then they would say, you sure? You don't want to drink? And I go, no, I don't drink. You don't want to know why. <laughs> and a half hour later, they're like, I got to go. <laughs> like he really is a preacher. And when you're younger, I know this doesn't make a lot of sense to you. And even when you're older, it doesn't make a lot of sense to a lot of people. Freedom is not doing whatever you want to do. Thank you for joining us on today's edition of Changed by Love with Pastor Jim Kevney of Calvary Chapel Morris Hills in Dover, New Jersey. Would you like to hear this message again? Simply log on to our website, www.changedbyloveradio.com. There, you can listen to archived broadcasts. We promise that your heart and life will be touched very specifically when you take the time to listen to Pastor Jim's easy-to-follow, verse-by-verse teachings of the Bible. Also, know that we are thankful for your continued support and prayers that allow us to bring our show to you. Through this holiday season and messages just like this one, may you find joy in the Savior Jesus Christ. He can give you peace that passes all understanding, even during this busy time. Will you make plans to join us again next time for another encouraging, comforting, and also convicting teaching of the Word of God? Please do. We hope to be with you next time here on Changed by Love.